gonna take on all the Muzis by yourself there, sir? How much help you think I need? Nick Nolte is Jack Benteen. A phantom army has started a war in his own backyard. How can they be officially dead and two of them locked up in there? But he's got an old-fashioned way of keeping the peace. We are space-age high-tech, and we get caught by some stone-age cowboy. Nick Nolte, Extreme Prejudice. As soon as that first, you know, beat of the soundtrack comes up, oh, you're like, oh, fuck, (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't control it. Oh, my God. This is so great. Um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, with that, welcome to a brand new episode of Reconsinimation. I'm your host, John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And I'm excited, guys, because, well, let's get, why did we choose, why did we choose Extreme Prejudice of all movies? Is that what we're doing? That's what we're doing. Did, oh, did you think it was The Wraith? Uh, I thought it was The Toy. The Toy. (laughs) That's so funny. I was thinking about that movie earlier when I was actually researching this movie today richard pryor's the toy i was 100 percent thinking about that not even an hour ago holy cow i haven't thought of it in months you guys i mean it's it's only because of walter hill's connection well brewster's millions yeah and then richard pryor and and the there you know that's the connection to toy so geez did i did i somehow under, like oh did i have brewster's millions on the on the brain i don't know oh my god did there's i do that kind of, there's a psychic connection between the two of you guys i've i've noticed it before it's uh, it's palpable you're a little bit like tomax and zamot the from the uh, from gi joe the twins <laughs> when one something thinking. happens to one the other gets affected gosh i'm going to have to look that up and remind myself <laughs> the thing is i hadn't looked up I didn't look up Walter's other like I didn't look up like the list of like all his films. I don't oh, yeah. think I if, and if you if you gun to my head if you're like who directed the toy I'd be like I have I don't I don't know I and I well he didn't a, direct he didn't direct the toy but he directed uh, Bruce Bruce's Bruce's Millions. Millions. or that's yeah. what I mean sorry sorry Bruce yeah, yeah. um that, that's what I meant to say so gotcha. yeah it's uh wow you know hey there we are uh well yeah so yeah why did we pick Extreme why? Prejudice. Why? What? what? It was all me. It was. It was. It's, it, it's John's birthday movie. <laughs> it's uh, except his birthday is a year away. <laughs> it's this, one year. Uh, this movie's been on my mind for like a really long time because I've never seen it. I didn't even really. I didn't even really know about it. Um, I, I like. I never heard of it in the eighties and nineties. It was just. It didn't exist really, and. Uh, I kind of tuned into it a few years ago. It was like, oh my God, another Nick Nolte, Walter Hill team up. It's an action movie, essentially a Western made in the eighties. How have I, how have I missed it? But I did. And really like this movie in essence should be part of the grandma collection for me. It really should be. And somehow it didn't end up in there, but I'll induct it now. 
So any anybody, any new listeners, the Grandma Collection is a collection of films that when I was a youngster, I would watch with my grandmother. And they were usually like crazy shoot 'em up action movies, good <laughs> and bad. So uh, this would fall right into that category. <laughs> So yeah, I guess your mom, your grandma slept on this one too. Like, oh, yeah. just, just sort of went, flew by, uh, flew under the radar. I guess. Yeah, grandma, what happened? Because I yeah. feel like she would have, she would have had this on, she would have had two pristine copies of this. Well, she had forty eight hours on tape. Yeah, it was forty eight hours and and Beverly Hills Cop back to back, of course. So yeah, of course. Um, yeah, double so feature. You know, Steel Dawn was in there, Avenging Force, which we covered. Check it out in the archives at reconcinemation.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trading Places, that's not a big action movie, but, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of them. There's one of the Mad Max movies, uh, you know, uh, but it was, we bonded over like crazy, crazy action stuff. So hey, I, hear a lot, I hear an awful lot of Eddie Murphy movies in there. I think maybe she just had a little thing for Eddie. There's a very good chance of that. What woman in the 80s did? I mean, no matter your age, Eddie Murphy was, was, was you know. He, he was, was in the shit. He was a force. Yeah, no doubt. What about you guys? Before we, we get into the episode, what about you? Have you, uh, where was Extreme Prejudice? So anyway, before we do that, actually, this is a first, so obviously first time watch for me. Uh, so mm. very rare on this show. Is it a first time for, for myself? But this is one of them. So. Bram, what about you? Uh, when did you first hear about Extreme Prejudice? Hear about it? Uh, boy, I, I would have been a kid probably around 1988 when this was out at the video stores and I saw the box art. That definitely rings familiar, but I never saw it. So it was actually, this is a first time watch for me as well. And And going through and actually, I'm a little embarrassed to say, honestly, like looking at some of Walter Hill's earlier movies, like pre, like, I mean, anything, I I have not seen a lot of his early stuff. Like, you know, I, embarrassingly, The Warriors, which I know is a big cult classic, never saw that or Mm -hmm. or really anything. I didn't even really, he didn't even really register for me until probably later with Red Heat in 88, which would have been, you know, his next movie after this one. But Everything kind of prior to that, except for Brewster's Millions, like I had never really seen. I guess I had seen 48 Hours as well, but there's a lot of his early stuff that I'm like I've now seen or I've heard of and heard good things about, but have never seen myself. This is one of them. Yeah, it's 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 Walter Hill. I mean, I had. I always thought that I I love like Walter Hill's great. I love Walter Hill. I've seen 48 hours and I've seen, you know, one or two others. And then over the past maybe two years, I started looking back like, well, I actually haven't seen that much of his stuff. So, so it was, you know, we've done a couple of other, his films uh, in, in uh, on the show, but um, I want to keep going. You know, he's, done such a range of films uh some of them work some of them don't but obviously we're yeah, gonna, we're going to go I, down the road on this one very similar i feel like i want to go back and watch like all his earlier stuff like up until um i mean i don't know if i really want to watch streets of fire but but maybe i people mean people love it people man, love it they? that's the one that's a musical right like, yeah yeah i don't, yeah. I don't right. know 
I remember Crossroads when it came out, but I didn't ever see it just because it was Ralph Macchio and I was a big Karate Kid fan. Yeah, I remember seeing the ads in like Spider-Man comic books like Crossroads. Oh, this is a Ralph Macchio movie about music. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Crossroads, probably... not not Streets of Fire. Both. Both are musicals? No, no. Both are Walter Hill films. Oh, yeah, yeah. Streets of right, Fire right. is a musical. Yeah. Streets of Fire is a musical. Stallone. And it's an action gun movie musical. Is that right? Is yeah. I have no idea. I just know it, it's a musical and it sounds silly. It wow. is. Yeah. Okay. Sign me up. I like I like I like genre disruptors like that. It's it stars Michael Pare uh, and Willem Dafoe and Diane Lane, but Ooh. also Rick Moranis and Rick Rossovich. So, oh my god! And yeah. Bill Paxton. So come on! Oh, get whoa. there! Whoa! Get there! Yeah, get there indeed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's pretty good. Uh, da- David, what about you? I'm gonna guess this is the first time you've seen this film. Yeah, I didn't even hear hear of it until two days ago so you're a nolte uh, head though <laughs> no i'm not i am not wouldn't it be funny if this was like this is my favorite movie and i had a poster growing up and i wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing like i've always known about this, this it would be been, another but, layer of uh of munchak just uncovered indeed but no i had never heard of it at all like literally ever doesn't poster art doesn't make it doesn't resonate don't know never heard of it never seen it uh so yeah, this is a uh, flying blind. This may have been made. This could have been made yesterday. I, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I think this is a first, first time for all three of us on the show. Wow, is it? Might be. <laughs> uh, wasn't there? Well, I know there. John and I have had episodes yeah, together. Not, but I don't we, think all three of us. But all three of us. Yeah, yeah. that's a new. That's kind of. Oh, I thought we just had one recently, but I could be. I could be wrong. Probably Christmas story. No, yeah, I'm just kidding. That's... <laughs> That's All right, Brent, why don't you set the table for us? What's happening? Bring us back, time warp us back to April 1987 when this film comes out. What, what's happening in the world? Oh, boy. Let's see. Okay, we're going to go spring 87, right? I yeah. think. So spring 87 in March, uh, Les Mis is premiering at the uh, at uh, on Broadway, which I bring up because... Now it's been around forever, but that's that's when it first dropped. So that's that's cool. The FDA uh, approves the sale of AZT, which is a oh. a medication used to treat AIDS, which was a big deal in the eighties. Uh, that was there was a lot of that. Um, We're still coming off AIDS, the AIDS scare, right? The AIDS scare point. of the eighties. Yeah. That's right. So that was going on uh in in uh there was a big oil company there was actually a big oil crash in the in the late 80s but started with a company called Texaco out of Texas uh which i bring up cuz that's where i'm from mm-hmm. and we were directly affected by that uh but also uh what else was going on Hulk Hogan uh defended his title in the uh WWF heavyweight match in wrestlemania 3 against andre the giant that's a little shout out for you john yeah oh yeah uh that was going on that was a big deal uh i remember that from back then and huge at that time i mean it was it was i mean that was the cold war right there on in uh you know in the ring so it was a it was a big deal yeah that 
<clears throat> that oh, is what took, you know, the 80, we, we talked to, kind of talked about this in our Rocky three episode about Hulk Hogan and the WWF and wrestle WrestleMania. It became so huge throughout 84 and 85. And this WrestleMania three was the first like legit, massive, massive, you know, massive. Pontiac Silverdome, like almost a hundred thousand people. And, yeah. um, you know, putting it re really keeping it up on the, the level where it was just that it would stay in a, at least another few years. So, yeah. And the match, the, the, the really the centerpiece match of that was the Hulk Hogan under the giant championship mm -hmm. match, which was, yep. I, I honestly cannot express how big a deal that was back, back for a little kid uh, in that time. Uh, and then the, the only other thing that I'm, I mean, a lot was happening. I mean, this was right around when, uh, Reagan was pleading with Gorbachev to break down the wall in, in Germany. So, I mean, there's a lot politically happening in the, in 87, but uh, feature film-wise, things that are going on, John Landis is acquitted uh, of manslaughter for the horrible accident that happened on the set of Twilight Zone. So uh, that happened kind of later in the year and or later in the spring in May, early summertime. And uh, yeah. So lots going on, man. Lots going on. Michael Jackson tried to buy the remains of the Elephant Man, which is kind of... Oh, that was 87, yeah. That's just super weird, but what doesn't shock me. Huh. So yeah. 1987, uh, we're talking Walter Hill, Extreme Prejudice. Uh, David, give uh -huh. us a rundown. What's happening in this movie? Um, Extreme Prejudice is about a Texas Ranger, Jack Benteen. And a drug kingpin, Cash Bailey, who knew each other since childhood and were best bros. And then as men, Jack works on the side of law and order in Texas while Cash continues to build a drug empire um, that is affecting Texas. But he is based in Mexico. And then also a group of U.S. black ops ex-soldiers led by Major Hackett seek to disrupt Cash's operation by any means necessary outside of the law. You might say they have a license to kill. Uh, and all three entities careen toward an inevitable bloody confrontation that could change the landscape of law and crime forever. Fantastic. There, nice. there I think go. that's what the I think that's what the movie's about. I think that's what happened. That's what's on the back of the box. So <laughs> David's got the VHS right in front of him. <laughs> I'm reading a super the fan. Back of it. I told you I had the poster. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So let's go back to, uh, we started talking about Walter Hill. Obviously he's the, um, he is not the original driving force behind the movie, but obviously what, what takes, you know, takes over creatively. We talked a lot about Walter Hill's kind of background and, and how his entry into the business in two episodes previously, which is The Driver and 48 Hours. So check those out in the archives at reconcinimation.com. But, uh, you know, basically he had, he had come up, he had kind of studied under Sam Peckinpah, which really comes out in, in this film that he... Uh, he worked on the getaway uh, with him, you know, more hands on on that film, but was always kind of, you know, around Peck and Paw through through the later part of Sam's career. But, um, you know, and then he develops kind of like the Walter Hill's path. I, I've always found very interesting that he, you know, started in 
kind of actiony westerny kind of films and then does 48 hours which is a, a huge hit and what the film that launches um launches eddie murphy but i think it also pushed nick nolte who'd been around um right. much further to the top so it was was really an important film for all three of them it's really the first buddy cop movie um and uh is, is a big big hit so you know and at this time action movies are really <laughs> i mean there is a lot of action movies through the 80s whether you've got your you know your yeah. canon films and and your that level of action or all the way to stallone and schwarzenegger and and your commandos and predators and the rambo films and um you know actions uh all over the place in in the mid 80s specifically are you guys are you guys 80s action fans where do you stand on that if you don't yeah. know by now, <laughs> what are we even doing here? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, sure. Depend depends on the action. Depends on the depends on the budget. Yeah, you need. <laughs> it depends be. on the budget. Yeah, I'm serious. Good. I need a good budget. <laughs> I don't like low budget. So, so <laughs> give me you. So you struggle with the canon canon films. Yeah, it's a struggle. Uh. <laughs> But, you know, the thing about action movies, a little bit different than other genres, is it, it always has to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you have to keep topping yourself over and over and over. So when you, when you go back and look at those films, like it, it doesn't, watching it with today's eyes, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal compared to when we're watching all the Fast and the Furious movies now that are just yeah. bananas and the Marvel movies. And it's just like pushing it so much further that it kind of weakens all the action movies that come before it, unless it's got like a really good gimmick that's working like Die Hard or something or Predator. Yeah. Also, I'll, I'll say back then though, at least all the effects were practical and you could only take them so yep. far. Whereas now with, with computer graphics and everything, like literally you can make anything possible. So mm -hmm. the stakes and things now are, like bananas, like it's just yeah. not not based in reality, really at all, or physics or anything. Whereas, like back in the eighties, when you watched them, like they still had to be rooted in things that were possible to be created in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah, stunt. You know, more real stunts with real stunt people, and yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I remember uh this it's almost this isn't exactly relevant but i remember watching the zorro movie with uh antonio banderas Mask, yeah. is it mask of zorro yeah, uh, so, yeah. there's, there's a two, guy but yeah there's, that's there's yep. whatever the what the first one he there <laughs> there's like a guy that would be like 10 feet up and he was like i don't know he was running charging or flying through the air like Right. And then someone shoots him and he careens backwards. I'm like, <laughs> there is a physics problem that a bullet is going to suddenly yeah. force a falling body at like 30 miles an hour to, to reverse course. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that looks cool. But that, but even, but I think even a person is like, huh, that's, that's weird. Like that doesn't even, yeah. I mean, it's also, it's, that's similar to the, to the physics that work in Walter Hill's movie, uh, last, was it last man standing? Yeah. With Bruce Willis, with Bruce, Will Bruce Willis. Anytime anybody gets shot by a, a bullet, like they fly like 50 <laughs> feet back. It's crazy. 
Yeah. But it's also but, that's also the time you're talking about like when wire work became like more popular and mm-hmm. oh yeah. You know, like those kind of kind of uh yeah. action set pieces. What kind of cool stuff can you do now that we like can do stuff safely and you know yeah. or at least safer <laughs> and uh all that. I mean, like look, movies like this had to happen so that then John McClane could throw his car in hit the e-brake so he can just open the door and step out of a car at zero miles like an hour and shoot a gun like i don't know if you remember like, that, it was a spinning which, car which diehard movie was that one that would be the probably the one with justin long i think oh, where okay. he punches yeah, a helicopter is that, oh yeah is that live him is that where live he fights a helicopter yeah yeah, I thought, it was, I thought it was like an F-16 or something that he fought. Oh, yeah. It's, or, a, it's, oh, a, yeah. it's a jet. It's a he jet. It's a jet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, I think it's like, yeah, he's zooming forward, screaming down the highway, hits the e-brake, pulls the pulls the wheel, but does it in such a way that he can yeah. step out of the car and be motionless like, yep. and without any inertia. I, I'm like, that looked cool. <laughs> like, that's big budget. <laughs> See, I, I, we've talked about this before about my struggle with modern action films. Like, I need something. I always prefer something that's more simple and believable. That, uh, yeah, you know, like like this movie. It's pure shootouts. Um, yeah. and Heat. We talked about Heat recently. Uh, check it out in the archives. Oh, well, no, Heat. It's fantastic. Heat. But the, is, but yeah. the re, like the the obviously the bank heist and the sh- the shootout downtown that was done methodically and michael mann does that that there's not like he's not going to use anything that couldn't happen in reality so yeah he's not going to trick you to be right. like excited about what's happening like right there's no trick it's it's like he's, he's like there's actually a narrative to the, the those to the heist in the gun battle there's like a narrative where like like those narratives don't really translate when you get to the big budget action set pieces right. like yeah there's there is a narrative to it but it's like it's just this happens and this happens and this happens and like we're just moving to the next like exciting thing so i wouldn't say like while it so it's it's a little more it's a little more uh you know marshmallow fluff like in turn versus like a michael mann which would be a little more like like a like a juicy steak of 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 flavor you know like you're still getting something that excites the taste buds but how much how many nutrients are you absorbing and you know there's a time and place for both you can't have all dessert and you can't eat steak forever yeah i i i agree i mean i think see i i don't have a problem with the marvel movies because they're superheroes and it's not it's very clearly you know not reality and it's you know superheroes have always been present in our lives to some degree whether it's tv shows or comic books or whatever um so like totally accept it there but it's movies where they're supposed to be regular humans like i'm gonna say the fast and the furious movies as an example although i have started watching them and i am enjoying them but (laughs) i haven't gotten i'm only through the third one so oh get ready that crazy tokyo drift yeah just you just finished the drift all right i did i did uh it gets they they Good. they you talk about you talk about how you have to continue to like one up the action and one up the action you're you're getting to the point where they're like oh yeah that's the formula we need so uh-huh. yeah. it gets more and more bananas with with each progressing 
release. That's what I hear. I'm one of the only people who has not seen, uh, you know, most of the newer ones. So. I don't know. I, I I like stopped watching them until I went. I got back into them with the one that yeah, I forget which one it is now, but where Paul Walker. You know, like he had passed away and they released the movie, whatever that one was. was That was seven or eight. Yeah. So I saw the first one and then I didn't see any of them until seven or eight. Mm. And then now I've seen the other ones that have been released and the Hobbs and Shaw or whatever. Yeah. That one. Oh, right. I didn't see that. Or have I? Wait, I might have actually watched Hobbs and Shaw and I don't like, I don't think that. Yeah. You don't even. Yeah. You like. It, I mean, it all feels like a, just a continued, like, you know, Fast and Furious story. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the levels of action and what, what constitutes excitement and what, you know, and what excites those filmmakers. Like, I mean, I think sometimes you just want to do cool shit, like, you know, and, yeah. you know, what, and if you're good at it, like, yeah, you then you make a franchise and it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's, and uh, yeah, the, the Fast and the Furious, it's going to get you, though, because na- soon, narratively, you're going to be pulled in. You're going to be emotionally... All right. <laughs> you're going to be emotionally attached to a lot of people. The, to the family, John. You're going to be pulled oh, in. The, it's all you're going to get pulled in. It's all about family, John. <laughs> well, it's all about family and barbecues. There's always a and barbecue. barbecue. There's yeah. always a barbecue. Yeah. There's always family. Yep, There's a barbecue sure. in every mood. That's what you do with family. You have... <laughs> Yeah, barbecues. Yeah. Well, I appreciated going back to a movie like this, though, that is not, I mean, it's bananas action in its own way, but, uh, you know, the connection. Yeah, it's all practical. And and, um, the connection is very clear between this film and Sam Peckinpah and the Wild Bunch. And I don't, you know, it, it, watching it it kind of raised the 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 question of like filmmakers redoing thing you know redoing elements used by other filmmakers right and is it paying homage or is it redoing it or is it copying it you know we see that with with quentin tarantino a lot about paying homage to all these other things and i i it got me thinking on this one about wow is he just ripping off the wild bunch or is he showing respect Mm -hmm. to it and and I, I think I settled with, I feel like he's showing respect to it and not trying to just steal it. And and that's okay with me that filmmakers are always well, yeah. influenced by other filmmakers, right? Yeah. Well, and I think obviously, I mean, like, it's pretty well known that Walter Hill is, you know, like Peckinpah was a mentor of his, like he'd always right. looked up to, to Peckinpah. So, I mean, I think in instances like that, yeah, like to me, I mean, you're specifically talking about the ending of this movie that feels very much like in, in that vein of, of the wild bunch and whatnot, you know, I, I, but it's more than the ending though, really, because the relationship between Jack and cash Mm -hmm. is similar to the relations, the dynamic between like William Holden and Robert Ryan in the wild bunch that, you know, they were, partners that rode together one turned on the other one's an outlaw one's working for the you know one's trying to bring bring the other one down so like that kind of subplot combined with the ending was yeah it's a lot of wild bunch influence Hmm. yeah but i don't know like i mean there have to be more than those two examples of movies where like there were people characters in on the show that were on opposite sides of 
of the moral dilemma that at one point were close, right? And they oh sure, yeah. Apart. I mean, that's a pretty that's a pretty like old. I yeah, think, of course. Device, but right. But I mean, yeah. specifically, the ending is super reminiscent of of Wild Bunch, right? Yeah. So I mean, I, I I don't disagree with you. Like, absolutely, those parts are also reminiscent. But like that, just kind of when I think about the the connection and like the and the kind of paying respect and homage to Peck and Paw and the filmmakers mm-hmm. before, like that ending sticks out to me a lot more than than necessarily that that story piece yeah yeah and 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 like i was saying it's it's i think it's okay to do that that you know mm-hmm. hill walter hill's clearly influenced by peck and paw peck and paw was influenced by kurosawa kurosawa you know was influenced by john ford and dw griffith and you know even charles dickens before that so it's all like you know everyone's sort of connected in a way and just like life we're all connected we're all connected and you know sometimes your your best friend becomes your worst enemy like (laughs) anakin skywalker and obi-wan kenobi yeah very similar it's basically the same story of (laughs) anakin skywalker george lucas was like after he made the original trilogy and when he was prepping the new ones he's like extreme prejudice that's that's kind of gotta come back into play here like how can I how can I pay homage to that yeah. with my favorite characters? A lot of Star Wars and Extreme Prejudice. Um, <laughs> what but uh, let's get back to Walter Hill. So so Forty Eight Hours comes out and it's massive. He's you know that's coming only after a few you know a few years after he you know was the was one of the main writers and producers on Alien, which was a big you know obviously a massive hit. Um, you know, cult hits in the driver and uh, war, the warriors. I'm not sure how the warriors did at the box office. The driver did terrible, but both kind of create some um, kind of cult status for him. But now he's, you know, massive and is trying to, you know, make some make some money while trying to make the films he uh, he really wants to make. So he he steps away from the Western theme and you know, goes in some interesting directions with his next couple of films with uh, Streets of Fire, which we were talking about, which is sort of an action musical type movie mm-hmm. uh, um, with an amazing soundtrack. Uh, Brewster's Millions. So that's right there is an example of like trying to capitalize off of Richard Pryor was probably the biggest comedian of the of the late 60s and into all the way through the 70s but by the 80s had kind of you know he he hit his peak and i think with eddie murphy coming up that they were trying to i believe it was paramount that was trying to counter eddie murphy with like okay here's a big let's put richard Pryor and john you know get john candy in there and walter hill top director he made you know comedy and action work in 48 hours so he's going to go a little bit more just comedic on this one ultimately brent you're you're a you're a fan of brewster's millions aren't you i am but i come at it from like that you know childhood you grew up of, loving it kind of perspective so you know like i don't think if i went back and rewatched it i'd find it like to be necessarily a great movie in any way but i'd find it super nostalgic i did enjoy it a lot as a kid but 
It was kind of funny. I was thinking about it when we was researching this a little bit, just about Richard Pryor. And like, I had no idea that Richard Pryor stand-up comedy was as like rank and, and, you know, vulgar as it is mm -hmm. also super hilarious, but I had no idea because for me, my introduction to Richard Pryor were like these, these movies, like the toy, you know, and, and the Gene and Wilder Bruce, team ups, like yeah, Silver Gene Street Wilder, and, yeah. exactly. And Brewster's millions, all of it. Like those are both PG and like, I just thought, you know, and I loved those movies. Like I, I thought they were great and I watched them over and over again as a, as a kid. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized that he was kind of like paving the way prior to Eddie Murphy. He was paving the way so that Eddie Murphy could be what Eddie Murphy right. was. Right? right. But like, I had no idea at the time. I didn't realize it was like kind of the twilight of, of, you know, like Richard Pryor's kind of career in that way. And Eddie Murphy was kind of, the changing of the guard, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I did. I liked Brewster's millions, you know, I mean, I, 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 uh, probably saw it, you know, a number of times I would watch it with friends over at their, their house and stuff. So, you know, definitely. Yeah. I, I, uh, a dear friend, um, gave me their, uh, DVD copy of Brewster's millions a couple of years ago. And I watched it for the first time, and uh you know i didn't i didn't love it it felt it felt it's one of those movies that i felt like had i seen it in the 80s i would have loved it um but watching it now for the first time it was it was a little flat yeah yeah i can buy that i mean and i was for shocked sure. that walter hill was the director it was like whoa well yeah i mean that's the other thing like it definitely sticks out as i mean maybe i don't know yeah, no, it, it it is very unique for just like basically his like the things that he's known for doing well, like this is not, this yeah. is like not not total wonderful. departure. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, and, so, and yeah. that's what he was he was trying. You know, he's trying different things and and you know, it didn't really work. But yeah. you know that his his Brewster's Millions in 1988 85 rather is the ninth adaptation of the original book that was published in 1902 <laughs> is it really the ninth? i did not know that it's the ninth like adaptation of of uh there was cecil b demille uh made one in 1914 so <laughs> wow. uh but uh and it was also a stage play in broadway in like 1906 or wow <laughs> so this is a the funny thing is it's a, it, if you it almost seems like a pretty basic plot right like it's just sort of like you gotta spend this amount of money to get this prize it's almost like right. you gotta you gotta spend a night in the haunted house to get your inheritance kind of it's a, exactly. it's almost a very basic kind of story uh like uh you know so yeah. i love that do to do a comedic version with you know comedic powerhouses involved and someone as talented as walter hill was certainly a uh an attempt at that i don't know reinvigorating that that sort of like kind of tropey storyline i don't know yeah but it also just like in comparison to like kind of the other you know properties and and stories that he would tell like it's just you know like it's very different than than the rest but oh for sure yeah i uh i liked it i liked the i liked I the, it. It was the the down and out like 
you know, double A baseball pitcher, not even double A, single A, yeah. beer league, like who even knows? Um, oh, yeah. You know, I love. I I really enjoyed the movie. I think it was great. I think it was yeah, that was fun. It's uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a fan. I know it's not like the greatest. It's not it's not something people keep talking about. But like prior, I wish you, I wish John Candy John Candy just sort of playing the straight man to him. Yeah, uh, yeah, as his buddy. And we and we're then, not getting any. You know, unfortunately, we're we're not getting any new John Candy. You know, material. Yeah. So it's also yeah. good to just watch watch for that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But, not getting um, any more Richard Pryor material. No, either. nope. Oh, that's the, right. Uh, yes, that. yeah. <laughs> and then he follows it up with Crossroads, which we were talking about earlier with uh, Ralph Macchio and and um, it a, another movie that kind of didn't translate to audiences at the time. I think it was a a big departure for what Macchio was doing too with between the Outsiders and the Karate Kid movies and right. um, you know trying to. I think everyone was trying to experiment a little bit there, but, uh, you know, and it's not, don't confuse it with the Britney Spears crossroads, uh, of 2001. Very, very different. Very, very <laughs> also, different. Walter Hill did not direct that one, but didn't see either of them, but <laughs> I know that they're very different. Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, what, everything he's trying, it's not really working. So at this point he's going to go back to, you know, the movie, this the the story that he wants to tell, which is the western. So he's you know going to go back to that um, type of story, type of plot, the type of characters that he's most comfortable with, really. And and he's always wanted to find that commercially viable western, which is especially in the eighties was was getting to be very difficult. You know, westerns had been around. I feel like Westerns were the first um, mass, you know, mass produced subgenre of films that, you know, from you see tons of them from the 20s through the 30s and 40s. And then John Wayne's rise and and, uh, John Ford becoming one of the the greatest uh, directors in American history. And um, it always had a home up until the 1970s that started to kind of peter out and and after peck and paw there really weren't audiences were i think ready for different things and were kind of burnt out on the western really and transition to the gangster movie exactly yeah Mm. and and in the 80s there are still some attempts being made at at putting westerns some of them are very good it just audiences young guns yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Young Guns for sure. <laughs> um, that's a top top three Western. Uh, <laughs> David, I wish everyone could see David's face right now. That's fun. Check that's out fun. the argument we had on that episode in our archives. <laughs> <laughs> I like Young Guns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and a, a lot of the 80s Westerns translated later on. Uh, very few of them were hits uh, in the day. But, uh, you know, looking back at some of them now, they're really interesting. And and this is kind of one of them. Um, and, and, and we get to, Walter Hill gets to kind of bring the themes he's comfortable with uh, back, uh, back in here. It's, you know, a man fighting against the odds. It's, you know a man standing up for himself, you know, team, he likes the team up movies as well. Um, violence 
civilization can only be restored through violence, which, you know, this is a prime example of. Um, But this, you know, I think the action, I think Walter Hill knows how to do action. And the way the action, the choreography of the action in this film, especially in the end, but there's a couple of sequences all the way through just feels like it's a notches above to me above a lot of the other action movies uh, of the day you know this is like like the chuck norris action movies and we talked about the canon films like this is like way above that and actually has thought and choreography and and um you know a plan behind it instead of just explosions and things blowing up all over the place like even commando as much as i love that movie um you know, the action in it is just kind of insane. This is a, l- a lot more methodical. Well, like, you know, there if you f- you feel the threat for all the characters, like, I didn't really think there's, I'm like, there's no way any of the main characters survive this. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and it you know that right in the beginning, like, this is going, like, most, if not all of these people will be dead. Yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't, it's that ending... And we'll ha- we should talk about the final like shot of the movie eventually, but uh, like the but the ending of the of film, like, like everyone's dead. Like there's so many guns, there's so many things. Like sh- everyone should be dead, and it makes sense that pe- some people survive in the way they do and the way it progresses. Instead of like getting lucky or just someone being such a badass that they survive, like. Even some of the most badass, some of those badass characters just get mowed down and die. And you're just like, oh, you didn't even expect, you know, because usually because in like modern action, there's always like a ramp up of like, you know, who the lowest end characters die first. And then the stronger characters maybe have a, a formidable opponent and then they're they're going to they're got a battle and out strategize each other and just sort of like, oh, people died earlier than I quicker than I thought. And people. Uh, people certain people survived uh for a certain amount of time and uh but it all makes narrative sense and yeah i think and i think again that's like getting your nutrients with your with your your action your Mm -hmm. storytelling yeah it's um and speaking of action (laughs) let's talk about the uh development of this movie It, it didn't start with walter hill uh he he came in after good segue it, <laughs> speaking of action how'd they make this movie on the studios? <laughs> uh carol co who was banking it after uh first blood which was another great action movie of the 80s and began the rambo franchise uh carol co was like dominating you know the action genre at this point so they um you know, they're looking all over the place for any kind of action movie. And they had a John, they bought the rights to a John Milius script, which is extreme prejudice. Uh, John Milius was one of the top writers of the 1970s. We talked about him a lot in our, our, both of our apocalypse now episode and Conan the barbarian. Hmm, So check, check those out. But, uh, he was his version of this movie was really mostly just about the black ops teams and it was about this 
uh, black ops team that comes in, you know, a, a lot of the action is the same, but they're the central characters and Jack and Cash are much more secondary characters. And yeah, it sounds, it sounds like that version of it is like, um, it's kind of centered around a Texas Ranger trying, uh, but the black ops team are also playing the drug Lords and they're trying to figure out how much it's going to take for people to stand up for like their town or whatever. Right. Which sounds kind of interesting, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a, a little bit, but, but this yeah. definitely like broke things up into different directions. I, like, I really like that idea. Like that's a great, that's a compelling idea of like, it's it was not just c- cops and robbers. It's, yeah. You know, you know, yeah. And it was, it was much more, I mean, Milius is known for being a, a kind of an extreme conservative and, uh, I think he was coming from a very like right wing kind of angle of, uh, and I think it was, it was like a Vietnam that it was a Vietnam. It's very like a Rambo character comes Mm. to this small town and stops the, the drug dealers. But then we find out that the drug dealers are actually government officials. They're sent by the government to Mm. their, to try and test the, like, what do we take for an uprising? Hmm. to to, to start an uprising so you know milius was actively working on this in the late 70s and then opted not to go forward with it and and i think he did big wednesday instead and um but the title of the movie extreme prejudice comes from apocalypse now comes from milius's script for that and terminate with extreme prejudice terminate with extreme prejudice which is used actually used in the movie by um, Michael Ironside's character. So, uh, but Millie, so Milius moves on and Walter Hill wanting to get back to this kind of genre uh, connects with Carol Co and rewrites the script. And he shifts the focus a lot more back towards the, the Jack and cash relationship and Jack as your, as your main character. Um, there was more they shot more with the black ops team that ended up getting cut out because it just ended up like the movie started to be there i think walter hill had said it it had become a michael ironside movie co-starring nick nolte and powers booth and it was just (laughs) too many layers going on there so they they trimmed that out and uh you know turned it into what what we see in the finished film so Mm. um yeah, I mean, Walter Hill was very interested in the, you know, single, the, the man, you know, fighting against the uh, standing up for himself and, and fighting back uh, himself, kind of a uh, heavily influenced by High Noon. There's a lot of High Noon in this movie, just as much as there is with uh, The Wild Bunch. I got to see those movies. Oh, you. Oh, my God. I think we're going to have to cover the wild bunch uh, pretty soon, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Right. It's been on the list for a while. So um, yeah. So uh, Walter Hill hired uh, Harry Kleiner, who was one of the writers of bullet Steve McQueen's bullet uh, to rewrite and, and update the Milius script. And, and um, so, and they had worked uh, together back on back in the early or sorry, late sixties as well. So, uh, so they clean up the script and um, and there we go. And then it's time to cast the movie. And this is the part that 
really drew me to the movie. When I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's Nick Nolte. And then it's like, oh, it's also Powers Booth. Oh, it's also Michael Ironside. (laughs) It's Maria Conchita Alonso. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the cast is incredible. Clancy Brown. Like, I love all of these people. William Forsythe. I mean, even, yeah, like, even like the secondary. I mean, shit, Tiny Lester's in it, dude. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Tiny Lester. Like, 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 where did that guy come from? What did you yeah. guys, let, let's start with the top though. Nolte, Nick Nolte in 1987. Did you guys, were you guys fans of Nolte or how, how do you feel about him in general? I always, I mean, to me, he was like the 48 hours guy for forever yeah. and, and until maybe Prince of Tides. And then it was like, oh, very opposite of that. And then, you, you know, then I kind of tuned in that. He's a very good actor. He's, uh, you know, he's can really do uh, quite a range of things. He's quite gravelly in voice uh, in the last, I don't know, 20 years, really. Oh, but, man, I uh, feel like he was gravelly even back in. He was he's gravelly in 48 hours. And, and then it that kind of he can tuck he could tuck it away and bring it out when he wanted. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I I'm kind of with you. I feel like the first things I really remember him from were, were 48 hours. Um, I mean, I remember down and out in Beverly Hills being really popular, Mm -hmm. like for a a minute. And I remember him from that. Um, and three fugitives is one that was like age age appropriate. Yep. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really anything. uh, He wasn't like a huge, like figure in a lot of the movies uh, from my mm-hmm. childhood, but he popped up here and there. He was recognizable. Um, you know, Cape Fear is one where it's like, oh, okay, like, all right, you know, now, now I get it. Like he's with De Niro. Like he's like this guy is kind of a bigger deal than I, than I had thought. Yeah, because even yeah. then, like I thought the Forty Eight Hours stuff was more like Eddie Murphy. I mean, because the second Forty Eight Hours, which came out when I was a little bit older uh, is probably the one that I saw first. And that is much more a Eddie Murphy vehicle than it is a like Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy, buddy Mm -hmm. romp. Right. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't until later that I saw, I think the original 48 hours, which is very different, much grittier. The relationship is much more like tumultuous and, you know, I mean, he's straight up just a racist in that, in that movie, Yeah, uh, you know, which goes away in the second one. So, um, but yeah, he was around for those things like peripherally. Mm-hmm. He's done, you know, there's some good movies that he's in that I don't think are that well known. Now North Dallas 40 is really fantastic and teachers mm-hmm. as well. Uh, interesting movies, but then he kind of did like after 48 hours, he'd done some, he did down and out in Beverly Hills, but he also did some some kind of like lower budget action movies. So I think he was a little bit um, kind of all over the place. And then, but he had worked with Hill on Forty Eight Hours, and I think they had a good relationship. And was he was very focused on this character that he was. Um, I think it sounds like he was playing it pretty method of this uh, Texas Ranger. He had studied with a. <clears throat> real he lived with a real texas ranger for six weeks yeah uh, joaquin jackson uh, who ended up becoming the tech advisor technical advisor on the film um 
so he really learned like how these guys think and operate and i feel like even his his body language is uh you know very different in this film so um he's you know and he's playing it like totally stoic he's like carrying a lot of pain and anger and and we don't really know where a lot of that comes from but you can feel the history of this character and the relationship with with cash as well so um yeah and i think this also feels like the maybe the only i don't know like morally i don't want to say perfect but like this character is really on the like lives by his morals right like a lot of the other characters that nolte played were you know edgier and willing to break the even even his character in uh 48 hours like he breaks the law like <laughs> he completely does and uh yeah yeah i don't know maybe cape fear he's also you know pretty on the nose there but uh yeah i don't know it just just stood out that he's like very much a quote-unquote good guy in this in this movie that he is he is there to uphold the law that's the character yeah he's not righteous about it yeah <laughs> like yeah, yeah he just he just is like you know yeah. he just he's just doing his job really uh and uh you know he's gotta he's gotta deal with relationships uh with you know that 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 emotional closeness uh with uh with sarita mm-hmm. and sarita's connection to his best friend that whole and relationship is weird it's a little weird <laughs> it's very weird yeah the, i mean they get into this backstory that that i mean they don't tell you too much about their their backstory but that they were they shared everything as they were growing up like they just they shared literally people cars things you know uh yeah but uh it's a little weird that they're where they're at and they're both still dating her yeah, yeah it's she weird kind of, she can kind of come and go between them they're not i don't know well here's here's the kind of you know i think looking back on it maybe a little more on the negative side of the walter hill film and, and looking at these westerns and that goes back to peck and paw too of the treatment of women like they're not you know maria conchita alonso is a great actress and she's used really just as an object in the movie that there's really not much of a character development i think she tries her best but there's not a lot of uh character to work with there um that Mm -hmm. she's just a device being used and part of the you know what brings jack to mexico for the finale right yeah there's like it 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 is sort of this typical like of an action movie there needs to be a like the only way i'm i'm uh, the uh it's typical of like these 80s movies. I, I say that not knowing if it's true, but it feels typical of the the, the hardened male uh, central figures who always use guns to solve their problems. You mm-hmm. know, the only way we get to really know them is the fact that they're they're kind of in love with some woman, uh, and, you know, who's there to sort of help them ignore their damage, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think and it's like well he can't he's not a complete person without her or something which is kind of like an interesting thing but 
like but yeah the woman the the women themselves are not compelling dynamic characters they're just they're just like i wouldn't trophy is a little too uh, um reductive but they're like they're sort of a prize or a you know a solution to their problems um and she, i think she's treated a little bit better than that in this mm-hmm. but um but yeah, like this is a dude story about dudes killing dudes, and you know, and of course, by the way, there there are there's these loving relationships that that bring another side to these male characters. Yeah, that you couldn't otherwise get. Like if they made this today, like Jack and Cash would probably have hugged each other like three times in the movie oh, <laughs> before yeah. they before they tried to kill each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but like, there's always like, but back then you're like, you're not going to show because there is like a little compelling, like you see their emotional. There's a slight emotional connection between Cash and Jack that they want to you want to touch on, but it's only going to go so far because mm-hmm. their emotional stuff is defined by how they really about like the women in their life or something mm-hmm. like that that's how i see it i find it tropey and sort of like typical of this i don't know if i'm correct but no i that that sounds accurate you know it's um she's she's not like treated like she's like a prostitute you know she's treated with re- right. respect um but there's just not that much of a depth to her that you know she loves yeah. these two guys and like yeah but yeah i think i find it i find the character a little annoying because it feels like through a lot of it she's playing playing that relationship against oh you think so you know nick nolte's hmm. character i mean in a lot of ways like because i feel like in some of the dialogue she's like well i've loved you for two years and yada 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 you know but like where are you what are you doing like i want I want more. And, you know, like she's like the fact that there's still a triangle happening there, like to me is just very like kind of weird and off putting and not like what she says is not what her actions show. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, okay, well, what are you, what are you doing? Like, why, like, you know, that that situation is like, you know, who that guy is, you know, who this guy is Mm -hmm. like, if you really loved this guy, why is that guy even a thing? Like, I don't, it, I don't know. It's, it was, I think it's insinuated that, you know, cash was like her first love. Right. So, and because he's still present, like they've, they've still had this connection, even though she's with Jack and, and Jack is, you know, he's so he's hard to get in. He's, it's hard to break that shell and really get inside that person and make that connection. I think that's, it's very similar to like the, his relationship in 48 hours with the Neto tool that, I mean, I guess there's just, you know, I guess there's just such an immaturity to it because like in my head, like even if cash was the first love, like, you know, that this guy is a bad dude who like is supplying drugs and killing people and all this stuff. Like, yeah, but they're used to sharing. Yeah, right? Like, oh, not a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. What I don't know. I just found it mostly I don't, there's a couple different things throughout this movie that struck me that way. That one I'm just like, I don't really think that any of this part like makes sense. Like, it's and weird. I know you throw it in there to have like a love triangle. Like, you need that 
you need love in there to soften like all this other stuff that's yeah. that's happening. Like I get it, but like the way that it's structured is doesn't like make sense for me. Like it doesn't work. Like you can still have you know this this relationship that softens things, but like by making it a love triangle, like it it just makes it I don't know, completely well, um, I mean, I I think you're right. Like you you could cut the whole relationship with or or current relationship between her and Cash, you know, make it just that that they had had a relationship, and sure. that you know at the end he kidnaps her in, as a way to lure Jack to Mexico instead sure. of like her going off with him. But I I get it. I I can understand yeah, that. The fact that she kind of seems to keep the door open. Yeah. The cash, I think, is the part that I find like kind of nonsensical. And it doesn't really like if I'm if I'm, you know, Nick Nolte, I'm like, dude, hit the bricks, you know, like if you're even open to the idea of this guy and I'm the like peacekeeper that I am, I'm dedicating my life to the good side of things. Like, sorry, dude, like I don't have time for that. See you later. Good luck. But I mean, like, I think, but Jack and Cash are still, they're, they're at opposite ends of, of the law, but they're still friends more or less. Like, you know, yeah. they have a cordial relationship that, I mean, like if Cash Bailey said, okay, I quit, I'm out, I'm never going to do this again. Jack would just let him live the rest of his life in Mexico and just be like, yeah. all right, fine. Instead of like trying to figure out a way to to get him he's, he's compelled he's trying to compel him to stop building this empire because cash wasn't always a bad guy he right he wasn't he a cop or something and then went undercover or got situated and then he's like well screw it i'm gonna become a drug lord instead like wasn't that the well that's the, that's sort of the, not that he's a cop but that that's revealed mm-hmm. later on you know that that he was an undercover agent who ended up sort of going rogue and actually taking over the the drug kingdom over there. But 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 Jack sort of like because of their friendship is like, you're in Mexico. I'm over here. Like, don't do your stuff over here and we'll be fine. Right. Yeah. He, from, yeah. He let him build his empire. in yeah. Mexico. Without, but sorry. Go ahead, Brent. Well, yeah, I, I, you're right about about all that. And they are. They, I mean, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they have the scene where they're talking and you know, cash at the last second is like, or the last line is like, I think the next time we see each other, it's going to be a fight or whatever, you know, like kind of foreshadowing what's going to happen. But, but my point is, is like with the, uh, the love interest role is that she's communicating to Nick Nolte. I love you. I want you to love me. Why, why don't you love me? And she dangles this whole like used to have a relationship with cash thing. It's like, that's why he doesn't love you. Like, <laughs> why, like, why are you doing that? And yeah. why is this even an open thing? Like, it just, I don't know. Like for me, that part didn't work real, really well at all. I, I oh. totally get that. Yeah. But like part of that, and I don't necessarily like find it compelling, but like, it is sort of like you're loving someone in, at least in these movies, it's always like, I can love you despite the fact you're a murderer and killer. Cause that's almost, that's not exactly, that doesn't turn me off completely. 
it's not the reason I love you, but I love all these parts of you. And you happen to be a killer crime criminal, you know, gang leader. Like I can accept almost all of you. And like, that's the same thing. It's like with loving Nick Nolte, like he's a cop. Usually these cops though, have an edge to them and a darkness and all that. His sure. character doesn't really, but it is like the way it's always like telegraphed is like, these women can always just sort of accept these men as long, but they have to, they have to find a way to like fully accept her with whatever, who, with whoever she is. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Do you know what I mean, it's like, it's, it's like bad behavior is always excused because there's some, there's more to these men that the women, the woman always sees that the audience doesn't really know, you know, like what, like what's so great about hanging? Like what's, what would Jack and, and Sarita do on a date? Like, what would they, like, what would they do on a Friday night? Like we never, you don't see those sorts of things in these movies. Yeah. It doesn't look like it's a fun, like, I don't yeah. understand. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand her interest with either one of these dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be perfectly honest, because like, he doesn't look like a good time. You know no. what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, he's, I don't know, but yeah. I mean, he's uh, yeah. humor is not something that uh, I think he engages in. But it's like, I mean, he... oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, my kind of my last thing on this is that to me, it seems like adding that element to it is just kind of like one of those things that you're like in a room and you're like, oh, they've got this history, right? And they're like, it's like the one upper. He's like, yeah. And then they could do this thing where the girl is still like in love with both of them and yeah. it'll be really crazy. And it's just like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me. It's an, it's an added stake. Right. Like it's she's an added stake to the whole thing. One of them is going to win between them. And essentially she will be awarded to the one that wins. <laughs> yeah, I think it's un, I think it's unnecessary. Honestly, I think it's un, mm-hmm. an unnecessary stake that doesn't really play. Well, there, th- for, there's for a lot of story in this movie that that you're trying that Walter Hill's trying to balance, you know, between. Sure. Jack and Cash and Jack Cash and Sarita and the Black Ops team and the Black Ops team and everybody else. And it's <laughs> it's not real clear a lot of the time either. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, I feel I feel like there are pieces of, of this that are confusing. Like, well, yeah, like, the, like the Black Ops element of it is like, I like that it exists, but for the first like, 35 minutes of the movie i had no idea like what were they like they get together like it's not clear what their intention is or what they're trying to do they're just like this kind of side story that's happening that's not you i mean you think originally it's their story because that's how the movie opens and you find out that they're all like dead military like you know perceived to be dead military specialists of some sort that are convening at an airport which i could have swore was the airport houston intercontinental airport it's not though but it looked a lot like it and i was like oh does this thing happen in houston anyway. it's el, it's el paso though i know i know yeah. they must have been designed by the same <laughs> tasteless and, and, architecture and, architect and, from and it looks like or what what the uh, albuquerque sunport used to look like also yeah. so same guy probably so but anyway you think it's their story and then it cuts from them to like where you meet the real characters, like the real like story, you know, it's, you know, it's Jack, it's cash. And, you know, they're like, you know, their story gets kind of developed and introduced. 
And then you just get random check-ins with the black ops people. And you're like, okay, whoa, are they, who are they like tracking? Where are they, how are they involved? What are they doing? And it's not really until like, I don't know, like late, the, it's late the in the last, movie. It's like the last act where yeah. it's like, it kind of all gets cleared up, which is, yeah. which is fine. Like an element of that I think is supposed to is good. And that's like the iron side, like, double cross side of it like that part to me is is fine but even like establishing what the initial like expectation of their involvement is is not really well like defined or presented it just seems like there's two stories and eventually they converge you know but it, i yeah. i don't know it was like it took me a minute like i watched the movie twice over the weekend just because i was like wait did i miss like, did I miss something that like clued that in earlier? Like, it just seems like a really gaping, like, hole in the in the like story, you know, to me. And and you know, it I it's not there. Like, it doesn't exist. It's missing. Yep. Opening the movie with them it, is a, is clumsy. Yeah, and maybe it's part the part that got cut when they were like, oh, we got to make this more, you know, the Cash and and Jack story instead of the the black ops story, but yeah, it, it, it's very misleading to start the movie with them and like establishing that they all know each other and that they're like, is a relationship, but then not, not tying it to like the main story afterwards until so late. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it's, it starts with, with the, the team basically just coming together and watching everybody. They're just watching Jack from afar. They're they're aware. Obviously, they're definitely aware of Cash, and and it seems like are they? But why? Well, it's it seemed my opinion watching it was like are they just taking a back seat and waiting to see how things play out with Jack and Cash? So before they actually figure out how they're going to move in, and but they don't even establish why they know about Jack and Cash. Right. Well, they don't really know about Jack. Like, yeah, what the the whole story is, and and the Black Ops team doesn't know. Michael Ironside's the head of the Black Ops team, and Michael right. Ironside, by the way, I can't awesome. love him enough um, yeah. in everything. He's fantastic. He, yeah. I mean, he's great. Powers Booth is great. Like all. Yeah, it's the problem. It's a script problem. It's not a. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's no, not I'm a just, gas problem. I just want to. I just want to shout to the world about my love for Michael Ironside. Uh, yeah. V was like, he plays Ham Tyler in V, who I thought when I saw it in 1980, I think it was 84, 85. Like, yeah. Um, like that's Han Solo level of cool for me. Like that was, Dude. I loved loved him. And then you know, a great Canadian actor who has just done so many good roles that I, I feel like he's been forgotten about. He's still out there. He's still working and doing stuff. And let's get Ironside back, uh, you know, in the big movies again. I feel like I just saw him in something like super recent. He He's definitely working, but there's actually an interview with him on the, on the DVD where they, he talks about it, that he was like, you know, upset that his career had kind of like, really slowed down and he's not getting lead parts and and he actually had lunch with walter hill maybe I, this may have been like two years ago he had lunch with him and walter was like there's nothing wrong with character parts like just take them 
Like, yeah, like you're you're good. So take yeah. those, and you're gonna make those roles better. So he was just... in Nobody, also, which oh, I don't know he? if you guys have seen it, but I haven't I'm, seen it yet. That movie's great. It's like John Wick. Like, I yeah. actually freaking watched that movie because I was so turned off by that trailer. I'm like, I'm never gonna watch this. Yeah, but then I, I had access to it. I actually watched it last weekend, and yes, that's exactly where I saw him recently. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> yeah. It, but you know, he Mike Ironside has this intensity that is very opposite of him as a person. Like when you see him in interviews, like he has such a different energy, and he's all smiles, and you know, um, uh, just seems like a very very nice guy. But uh, I mean, I told you it, the first thing I remember him from is a movie called The Visitor, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It takes yeah. place in a hospital, and he's like a serial killer shoving yeah. like racquetballs down people's throats. Yeah. Oh, it's freaking crazy. <laughs> and man. scanners, you know, scanners, I think might have been the first movie that, you know, really like he's on the cover of the he's on the poster um, and he's yeah. not even the, the main character. But yeah, um, that's an awesome poster. Yeah, definitely. But uh, so he's the leader of this black ops team, and it seems like they are trying to find a way to to essentially just take down cash. Right. That That's what it felt like was happening. Um, there's obviously more to it. They, you know, they rob a bank to, you know, which was that part was unclear to me. Like, why are they robbing right. this bank? But once you finish the movie and I watched it a second time, which you shouldn't have to do. Um, right. I, I, it came to me more that like the the robbery, the bank robbery was trying to mask what they were really in there for, yeah, which was, was to get, get the safe deposit box. Yeah, Powers Booth or Cash's. It's really just to get the notebooks yeah. in the safe deposit box. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, but again, flush them out. To watch it twice, to have to figure out what they're doing is like, yeah, yeah. It's poor problem. storytelling. Well, the Black Ops team operates, the team, other than Michael Ironside, think they're doing CIA yes. disruptive, take down this criminal stuff mm -hmm. where. Michael Ironside wants, he actually wants to rob and kill him, right? Like, well, he's got, so, so, so it's basically like they're, he's got a whole relationship with Cash that nobody knows about, that he's mm -hmm. in on the whole thing. And Cash has evidence that will expose Paul Hackett. Hackett. Paul Hackett, Hackett, yeah. So, oh, that's right. That's right. So he's trying to protect that and then, you know, kill like anybody who gets in his way and then take all that money that take cash's money and then essentially retire. I mean, yeah. it's pretty ballsy to be like, I'm going to bring in this, like what felt like a 40 man black ops team <laughs> yeah. Huge. To, yeah, to come in and like, help me get these notebooks under the ruse that we're trying to do some kind of like misleading bank robber thing. And then he himself is like, I'm going to kill all these black ops people to get away. Scott free. Like, yeah. I mean, they're trained special ops. Peeps. So is he, though. So is he. And they work yeah. together. The thing is, they all have history. Like, it's not like yeah, they, they work all together. met each other for the first time. Yeah. And oh, yeah. yeah, the first half of the movie sets up this black team, black ops team. Like, they're just criminal. They're just like mercenaries. Like, they're yeah. just criminals. You don't even know they have a mission. Right. They just, right. then that's, that's why you buy the, at first, it's like, well, this is just a bank robbery. And then it slowly comes out. So I think, yeah, there's just some clumsiness in the storytelling and, presentation of, of this stuff that um i think yeah detracts overall 
yeah uh it, it all becomes clear and it's like oh i get it by the end you're like okay i get it but it doesn't hook you the the it's not as tight no i feel like it takes you out because i mean it took me out at least because a lot of it i was like again i was feeling like i had missed a, a piece of the story or or you know like i was trying to connect dots that were never pro- provided you know and, and you're right like eventually like it all gets explained but it is it's extremely clumsy and i think it detracts because for me like i you know like i like to understand yeah how the pieces well, fit and you don't want to feel like lied to in a sense like i mean you learning new information but like they set they start the movie with these guys to even do yeah. computer readouts for yeah. all these guys and all it's- that stuff so it's like these are the main characters. Okay, cool. And they are not. <laughs> They're not. It, it's weird. It's strange not to start the movie with Nick Nolte. Like it, it, I, I don't understand. I don't understand that. Like coming back, you know, and doing that. Just just reordering the the opening of the movie is all you need to do. But um, mm-hmm. and it's the like, Black Ops like, team is. Oh, go ahead, David. Well, I'm like the like the opening of Predator gives you everything you sort of need to know of like who these characters are going to be going into this yeah. thing. Like, right. Like it yeah. sets up the opening of star Wars tells you there's bad guys chasing the good guys and they're going to kill each other. Like give us all, give us the information, the shorthand that we need to know, give us more exposition later. But like, yeah, this is like a completely like just it's, it's not even subverting expectations. It's like, it's, it's almost a, I'm fucking with you. Yeah. <laughs> like I just yeah. fucked with you um, because they they couldn't figure out a compelling way to, 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 to keep these the black ops team like there's just no compelling way for them to do it they didn't figure it out like they need another six months to figure it out on the script and this cast like there's so much cast in this movie there's so many actors all of which are great um but there's a lot of characters to service and and even this team it's it's ironside plus a five-man team do you need all five of like i feel like they're one maybe two people too heavy but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, they could have lost. They could have lost. They could have easily lost one person. Yeah, you know, I think, um, and and it would have been fine. Like they didn't need. I mean, just in the in the like the arc of the, you know, the story. Like they could have lost. I think one so. of the two. One you of know. the two guys. One of the two guys from the from the car that got stuck. Right. Like you don't need both those guys. Oh yeah. Yeah, but, I mean but, that, but oh, and that, but and want, that part. Yeah. But I want Forsyth, you know. So you don't get yeah. rid of Forsyth. You don't get no. rid of Clancy Brown. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, that's not happen. Right, no. and and I think to me, like Clancy Brown, absolutely keep because he's he's probably the character of of everyone on the Black Ops team that we spend a little more time with. That he, um, I mean, he's the guy I'm kind of rooting for, like on the Black Ops team. You know, like I mean. He feels like the closest to like he questions what they're doing, and right. he seems like he has more morals than the like. He's still not a great guy, but um, the the lesser of the evils, I think. But and and yeah. seems more likable. Which, by the way, Clancy Brown, another amazing actor oh, that like he it, he's so good that he's so to me he's so likable here, and immediately you know, surrounding this movie is Highlander and shoot to kill where he plays extremely bad, scary villains, you know, um, that he can, he's just, just shows his range. Great, great actor. 
And that's a double Highlander connection in this movie, by the way. So we have the villains from Highlander 1 and Highlander 2, uh, which is Michael Ironside. Uh, oh. So, yeah. This he, is, oh, uh, he, he was the baddie in 2? Deep Highlander connections. And it's funny mm. because they talked about, like, the two of them became better friends later on because you know, conventions and stuff and that being, having been in the Highlander movies and they, they joke around about that, but that's funny. Well, I was um, like, as the, when the movie opened and Clancy Brown's in, I was like, is Clancy Brown in every movie? Like, I, I know. I just, I just feel like I, you just run across him so often. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah, Clancy Brown, you got William Forsythe, who's just, com- I think he's just coming off with raising Arizona. So um, another, another great character actor. Mm-hmm. Matt Mulhern is one of the guys you were just talking about. Yeah. I only knew him from Major Dad. Remember that I, show, I, Major Dad? Yeah, yeah. I recognized him, but I didn't know where from. But I think you could have lost him. Sergeant, I think he plays a character called uh, Sergeant Coker. Yeah. Um, he probably could have dropped that character. Uh, the other one for me is uh, Luther. Yeah, you could have lost Dan him. Dan Tullis. Yeah. Um, yeah, just maybe too too many, but uh, and then Larry B. Scott. Now let's you don't take, lose Larry. You do not lose Larry. You don't Scott. lose little Larry. <laughs> Larry, if B. only if only for the one scene where freaking Tiny Lester picks him up by the neck and just like lifts him up off the ground. I'm like, holy crap, dude. He is, but he's a guy. I mean, talk about range. Look at all the 80s movies he was in. Like, he's in The Karate Kid, right? He's one of the Cobra Kai guys. He's yep. Lamar in Revenge of the Nerds. Yep. He's he's in Iron Eagle, the first one at least. He's just, he's uh, one of the, like, sidekick characters. He's yeah. in Space Camp. He's he's here. Oh, he's awesome in Space Camp. I love Space Camp. <laughs> yeah, and it just like such a wide range of characters. Really, I, I think he's I think he's great. How did yeah, he not know, end up back on uh, the Cobra Kai series? By the way, well, you know the final season's coming up, so maybe. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe he'll be in it. Always room for Larry Scott, but uh, yeah, you don't lose Larry Scott. But I think you could lose one or two, one or both of those other two guys. Yeah. So just from like what they contribute to, like, I just don't know, like that they really add much that couldn't, that couldn't be picked up by one of the other characters. Yeah. Uh, I don't disagree with that, but, uh, but I don't know. Actor wise, I like all those guys really. Um, Yeah. And I think it's just, it it feels like maybe that he had as many just to build the body count at the end of the movie. You know, if we're going to yeah. go for this wild bunch ending, like you need people in different places. It still felt like too many, but um, yeah. He's got so. a whole village in on the other side of the border in Mexico that he like, he just got piles hundreds, of bodies. Yeah. Like, hundreds of hundreds of guys with guns. Yeah, yeah. Cash <laughs> has an army of like, uh, apparently an endless army of, of, you know, like uh, drug dealers or yeah. whoever, you know, like, I don't even know, but it's just like, okay. But the uh, the maneuverings of the team throughout the movie are a little muddy, you know. Like we were saying, like it's it's like they're they're getting themselves thrown in jail so that they can, you know, mic themselves up and study the police and and Plant like they, seeds. Yeah, and, yeah. So I, again, it's like it's not. I felt like you had to watch it twice to to really catch all of this, you know, all the maneuverings are doing. Yeah. 
I agree. And I feel like it's always like, I feel like this is kind of often the case in, in some of this stuff, but it's like one little thing throws off the whole plan for it not to work. And like the fact that these dudes get stuck in the sand, you know, and yeah. like it throws off the entire bank robber and yep. bank robbery and all that. It's just like, if these guys are really good at what they're doing, they're not getting stuck in the sand. Like they're not putting themselves in the situation to get stuck yeah. in the sand. It's right. like, it's kind of ridiculous that that happens. And like, it takes them so long to figure it out. And well, I don't know. Like why are you hot dogging? You have, you have to be somewhere in the desert yeah. and you're, you're yeah. hot dogging through the, like doing I, I think drifts. Like, you what are you doing? Compare this team and a, to, like a Chrysler LeBaron. Like, what are you even in? Like, what are you <laughs> like doing? How fun could that hey, be? That was a hot car <laughs> yeah. back then. Um, what the hell, dude? Compare this team to like Arnold's team and Predator. Like, that feels like Arnold's an, team and Predator would freaking annihilate these guys. Yeah, decimate like, them. Yeah, those guys are like a a you know a seamless unit. You know, yeah, like. They they're they're lockstep with each other. They know what each other's thinking. They're covering each other. It's very, um, you know, obviously more military minded than this team. This is like right. a little scattered. So, do you think Shane Black's character from Predator could take out uh, the whole team from Extreme Prejudice? No, know. no, no, no. Jesse Ventura could. Jesse Ventura Maybe. definitely definitely could. Jesse Ventura and Bill Duke. Yeah, if it's the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Very could, Clancy. If you if you sent both of them back in time, they could, they probably they could single handedly win like the Civil War. You you know what it seemed like <laughs> yeah. too is that in a lot of those action movies, those military movies, like they have military like Captain Dale die, like military advisors who put these guys through training so that they can become a team, so that right. the team element feels believable on camera, and this didn't. I, I don't, I mean, they may have had a military advisor. I'd have to check the credits, but it just doesn't feel like it's not slick like that. So. No, yeah, I agree. I, it feels very like loose and ragtag and not well oiled and like just kind of, I'm, I don't know. It just feels a little like um, improv, like, you know, yeah. it doesn't feel polished. Like you, I think you said, so. The, well, um, plus, okay. Go ahead, David. I was going to say like plus to give them something to do like a couple of them get purposely arrested mm -hmm. to sort of clock what what's on in that ranger station you know where the guns are and then they get act and then they get thrown in again but that didn't that didn't amount to anything <laughs> like other than no. to connect ironside to meet jack and to to say who he really is and all of that but it's almost like it it was it's just giving them something to do to fill up time mm -hmm. more or less to, to showcase them. But it's not like that them knowing the layout and locations of weapons at the ranger station had anything to do with anything by the end of the movie. Right. Like, yeah. but they make a point to, to, to point out that's why they're there. Then, then Jack figures out that's why they were there. And then yeah. they get arrested again <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And it didn't play. And it's almost like, was this like an artifact of an old version of the script? Like, I feel like there's like all these little cool things that make that help define these characters are there. But again, there's this clumsiness to the whole thing. My favorite part is the right in the opening of the movie where they meet at the airport, the, that cool little handshake between uh, Larry, <laughs> Larry Scott and Matt Mulhern. Yeah. yeah. My, my favorite moment of the movie right there. <laughs> <laughs> like who, this is a comedy. Like what these guys are comedy characters. I kind of want to see 
I want to see the prequel of these guys on their missions and the totally. past and hanging out. I I think we're we're writing it right now. So this should have been the yeah. fourth movie of a series, and then this is how they all die. Yeah. Yeah, Agreed. this is this is the last of the franchise, right? <laughs> and then and then kind of going alongside this, we've got Ironside, who's not always with the team, but he's do playing his own game and he's you know made up another character so that 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 he's from you know another government agent that he's working with Jack and kind of manipulating Jack in certain ways until oh, yeah. Jack figures out that he's not who he says he is. Giving him false information on bullet casings and yeah. yeah. That's right. But again, because- it's not clear like that he's doing that for his own thing or if he's doing that as part of the team like it's just right like well i mean he he starts jack starts catching on to them because let's rewind for a second so Mm -hmm. jack is working alongside jack is a texas ranger he's working alongside another actor we haven't mentioned yet rip torn who's the town sheriff right? right so they're kind of working together and they've got a backstory of that that jack and cash really like were um i think sort of mentored by rip torn and they have like a at least jack has like a love and respect for him and other yeah, kind of what oh i was gonna say they're like they're a well-oiled machine throwing shotguns back and yeah. forth to each other as they totally. go take out the the little underlings and the drug ring yeah but um cash ends up setting them up at a uh you know, he tips them off about a drug deal. And when they go, they get ambushed and Rip Torn gets uh, taken out there. And they, I think that's actually a really cool scene. Um, that action scene, I think, is really well well done. That Jack ends up taking pretty much all of them out. Two of them escape. One of those actors is an actor by the name of Mickey Jones. Uh, so we get a little V reunion here. <laughs> Um, and it's actually the second of three times he's worked with Michael Ironside. Uh, so they they kind of take off and they end up running into uh, Michael Ironside and Clancy Brown, who they end up like, you know, shoot, shooting and, and killing the two remaining guys. So and and that's how Jack finds the bullet casing and how he starts to, like, learn that there's something else going on here. But uh yeah, Michael Ironside and Mickey Jones work together in V, both, I think, both, you know, miniseries for V, then this, and then they're both in Total Recall together. Not not together, but uh, they, uh, no screen time together, but they are there. So, um, and they're like, you know, also like partners in V. So to see them against each other in this movie was a little bit heartbreaking for me. It's tough. That's oh. tough. Don't it was, it was tough. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry, sorry, I had to endure that. Yeah, <laughs> but so so yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of plot happening, a lot of actors to keep up with and characters, and it's um you know you mentioned another familiar face is uh Tiny Lister Junior, aka Zeus, um mm-hmm. who uh is Cash's you know pretty much Cash's bodyguard. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and he this he's an, this he's is, an, he's oh, a famous ex NFL star because yeah. like oh you've seen him on Monday Night Football and he's wearing a T shirt with his number on it 
<laughs> like, that's... And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what that guy's going to do in Mexico. He's, yeah. He's going to run around with his number, <laughs> like with a gun, uh, running drugs, <laughs> killing people. Because uh, he needs the money. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just find that hilarious. This is pre Friday, pre. Uh, oh, yeah. Pre- this is no holds, no holds barred. Yeah. This is oh. like almost three years before no holds barred. No holds barred. Yeah. Two years is before this... No Holds Barred. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like pre his introduction into because th- was he introduced in WWF and then No Holds Barred came out or no, he it's simultaneous. No Barred... So simultaneous. Okay. So they shot No Holds Barred in, I think, like throughout H- Hulk Hogan. Part of the reason he lost the belt. Let's go back to Hogan. Yeah. Part of the reason he lost the title in 88 was so he could go off and make a movie which was no holds barred. So spent a lot of 88 shooting that um, while he was away. It comes out. I, th- I want to say in the spring, right after WrestleMania five, Zeus started showing up on TV as a character, as a way to promote the movie that was about to be released. Uh-huh. Even though in the movie, Hogan is playing rip. He's not playing himself. Right. Mm-hmm. So what it's a little, yeah. I, re- tiny, I remember that. Yeah. Is tiny playing Zeus in no holds barred? Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's Zeus in No Holds Barred and Zeus in the WWF. Zeus was so scary. Yeah, he was. The plan was to WrestleMania six was going to be Hogan against Zeus, but Zeus was not working out so well as a wrestler, so Um, he he went back to acting. But so uh, he was an actor first. He wasn't a wrestler. Come because I remember like I remember watching the when Zeus was 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 introduced and was part of and he was invincible they're punching him in the face and he's smiling totally. yeah he had the yeah. eyes i'm like oh my god even hogan can't take this guy oh <laughs> this yeah this is amazing he's I, a love, monster. I love i love those storylines yeah. and then yeah. who was the woman that was sort of zeus's sidekick right wasn't sensational queen sherry yes yeah she was she was oh with the macho god. macho king randy savage so oh all right but anyway. then didn't, didn't they all team up did they zeus and macho man team up yeah the, the summer slam 89 was hogan and brutus the barber against the macho king and zeus oh my god yeah. i gotta Great. go watch this now fun match. listen fun folks match. if you thought i was kidding about john being the <laughs> encyclopedia of the wwf i'm not it's all coming out Five years into the show, people are realizing uh, what there was always what this show's hint. really about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry, I keep going. Anyway, I, wa- yeah. I want to side. I want always want a sidebar and know these yeah. because I for like three and a half years I paid attention to WWF. Then five. Then five years later, paid attention for another three years. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah, that's went away that's completely. A, yeah, that's a, that's how it kind of works. That's yep. That was <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So good to see. Uh, uh, Tiny Lister Jr. who passed away. I, was it last year? Or the year before? Re- recently, relatively. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was uh, a couple years back. Or, I, yeah, it probably was couple... five five years back now. But oh, December of of twenty ten actually. So twenty ten? No, as twenty twenty. Excuse me. Sorry. Okay, I'm like that. That can't. Be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So a few so, years ago. But yeah. 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 Um, oh boy. Yeah, but so it's all leading to. You know, everything comes to a head in the the finale in the the um, Wild Bunch esque shootout at the end on Cash's compound in Mexico. That you know he's taken he's uh, taken Maria Conchita Alonso there, and Jack is going. You know, Jack is now sort of working with the Black Ops team to you know 
one last assault on cash and and they're going to take it out. And while that assault is happening is when the real plot and what Michael Ironside's character, Paul Hackett has been really doing uh, comes to light. So, so you've got, you know, Cash's army, which is massive and, and the whole thing really matches the wild bunch. It's just an endless stream of, um, you know, of uh, stunt people really coming out yeah. and, and 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 this huge shootout all over this compound. But within that, you've got the Black Ops team turning on each other that Clancy Brown and, and Larry B. Scott sort of turn on Ironside. So they're having their own shootout against each other while um, Jack and Matt Mulhern and William Forsyth are all, you know, shooting out with, with the other... Uh, with the army there, but, um, mm -hmm. and it's, you know, and there's machine guns placed, you know, all, all throughout the, uh, they're staged all throughout the compound and, and, uh, and it, everyone's getting wiped out, you know, all of them are getting shot up and, and, uh, you know, it, it, I don't think it's done in slow motion like it is in wild bunch, but it's very kind of close to it and feels almost exactly the same. The difference is like in the 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 black ops team and the the squad in the wild bunch is like they have a code that they sort of live by in the wild bunch. Part of the mm -hmm. plot is like they realize like they think they have a code. They haven't really been following that code, but they acknowledge it. You know, um, yeah. these guys don't have that. It's just they're all just kind of doing their own thing. But um but I enjoyed, like, I thought the action at the end was great. Like, I, I was all in for that. Um, what, what do you guys think? Did you, did it work for you or no? Just talking about less. the action sequence. Just, just. Oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally. I like the narrative arc of the action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, like, oh, go ahead. No, that's that really all there. I don't have much else to say about it other than, like, I think, I think that's, that's one of the. The, the higher selling points of the the movie like mm -hmm. i think they're i think it's pretty well done and services like what's what's going on and i think it's pretty um like coherent to me but i don't know yeah yeah i mean i like if anything i just like the throwback feel to a lot of the action scenes which i thought were were pretty cool i mean if anything you know walter hill and and does those type of scenes and violence and like those standoffs and that that kind of uh thing really really well and i thought that that those were great i mean i think you know pretty much said what i thought about yeah the holes in the story and whatnot but overall like i like the movie fine you know but i do think that those are things that are like okay those are if if, if i'm a storyteller like those are things that i want to fix yeah you know yeah, it feels like, I don't know, like there should have been, I don't know if it's the studio at the time, Carol Co., you know, overseeing it. It feels like could have done with one more, one more pass through the editing room, could have yeah. like helped clean, clean up the movie and uh, a little bit, but, um, you know, or really the, the script get another, you know, another real analysis before they started shooting, but it is what it is. So, there are enough. Yeah. There are just enough small clunky elements that add up to like sort of a deficiency overall for the movie. But there's I a mean, lot of great. There's a lot of 
good stuff about it. I think. Yeah, I I think for me, like just seeing part of why I wanted to watch it was just like seeing all these actors together. Like I almost don't care what they're doing. Like I just well, that's uh, you're you're not. I mean, I I agree with that too. I think for me though, honestly, if you just cut out that opening scene of introducing the Black Ops team. And just kind of introduce the Black Ops team throughout the course of the storytelling. Like they're a third element that's there, but mm-hmm. but you don't know why. Nobody really knows why. Yeah. And you take it more from like a you're learning it at the same time that that Jack is learning it. Like I think that that helps in some way. But like yeah. the fact that you start the movie off with them and kind of set the expectation that the movie's about them, mm-hmm. and then you do all this other stuff, like just kind of is weird. Yeah, so, I, I I agree. I think that's a big fix right there, but too late now. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, the I remake. mean, you could you could get the get the original negatives, and if you want to, you know, you want to recut this, do the the diner cut. Yeah. I mean, Walter. Hey, get, Walter Hill's still working, so we could maybe get a a super director's cut. Super director's cut. <laughs> there you go. I say, hey, do you want to recut your movie? Yeah, I think I think you like it and you think it's fine, but I think maybe we could. I'll pay you to do it again. Yeah, okay. do it, it my way. Uh, but uh, and and uh, we didn't really mention it earlier, but uh, I do want to say Powers Booth also just amazing actor with a, a yeah. great career, and he was a Walter Hill favorite, and you know, he's been in so many movies uh, that our generation has loved. And, um, you know, but at this time, like I knew him from Red Dawn and I knew him from the, uh, the, was it the Jim Jones story, the Guiana tragedy, um, that that was shocking, a shocking movie to, to see as a kid. And, uh, He's just so good. He was always great, uh, you know, and he's in Oliver Stone, some Oliver Stone things later on and Deadwood and um, just a really good character actor that never really became a household name, but was always working. And someone you knew was uh, was not going to phone it in. Yeah, I mean, exactly right. Like he would pop up and like I, I would never seek out movies because he was in them. But anytime I was watching something and he popped up i'm like oh yeah this is gonna be yeah yeah um tombstone of course probably his most iconic uh character but Mm -hmm. yeah he played the Uh, character of tombstone (laughs) he played john tombstone curly curly (laughs) sergeant sheriff tombstone (laughs) what are you doing here jack tombstone <laughs> By the way, I love Nick Nolte as a character named Jack. A tough guy named Jack was kind of perfect for me as a kid. Yeah, every character's named Jack. Yeah, <laughs> when he every... got introduced, I'm like, of course he's Jack. Yeah, <laughs> there's always a that Jack. was very much an '80s thing of like tough guys have to be named Jack. Yeah, are you like yeah, and your <laughs> or your least your leads and yeah, and all yeah. that. Jack Burton. There Jack. was a I th- exactly. I think there was a uh, there was a time in early two thousands where you had uh, oh shoot you had Keith or Sutherland playing Jack Bauer Bauer you had Matthew Fox playing Jack Shepard Lost and you had Victor Garber (laughs) Jack from Jack Lost (laughs) Jack Island (laughs) (laughs) and then Victor Garber playing. Uh, uh, Jack Bristow, and they were my fee- They were my favorite Jacks 
all at once on TV. I'm like <laughs> the three, the oh three my jacks. god, I got three jacks. Right nice. Now. I'm I was a big I was a big fan of the jacks. <laughs> That's how you got to watch shows. Like what show is on with a character named Jack? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. oh oh he's named Jack. Cool. I'm gonna yeah, watch. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> um, the uh, cinematography by Matthew Leonetti, great. Uh, my favorite thing about this movie, besides the the cool handshake in the beginning, is the Jerry Goldsmith score. Love it. Very, very Rambo and First Blood esque uh, here. So, yeah. big fan of that. Goldsmith is maybe might have been my favorite composer of our lifetime. Jerry Goldsmith. Yeah, I love. Still, like this, is, he's your favorite composer. Yeah, I think so. Like Chinatown, you know, mm-hmm. like the Star Trek theme, and mm-hmm. um, just so many, so many great ones over you know decades uh, yeah. of a brilliant career. But um, mm-hmm. L.A. Confidential, great score there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, just the, some other uh, things I just wanted to to point out but um should we uh i think we've broken down the movie enough should we talk uh, a little box office glory see how it did yeah let's yeah so extreme prejudice shot for 65 days uh on location in el paso uh shot some interiors in culver city uh throughout the summer of 1986 it had a $22 million budget, which is pretty, pretty good for a movie like this. Uh, it releases April 15th, 1987, which is uh, about just over two weeks after WrestleMania three. <laughs> That's our barometer now. Uh, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it opens up at number two uh, against its only other competition that week was a new release was my demon lover oh love that movie scott valentine yeah uh, yeah i think so oh, you're both yeah. aware of this movie <laughs> oh yeah. yeah i used to have the poster yeah no, um, you didn't i i know you didn't i promise did you? you i did it's not it's not the one that you'd you'd look up if you had it but yeah i used to have a poster of this i used to yeah, yeah i remember I, it. I did i did actually used to like this movie quite a bit <laughs> Um, but number one at the box office was, uh, in its third week was the secret of my success. So Mr. Nolte, Mr. Booth, Ironside, Clancy Brown, Walter Hill could not take down Michael J. Fox. Yeah. I saw that at the theater. That that action packed Michael J. Fox flick (laughs) at the theater. Hey, Um, hey, Michael, Michael J. Fox is a very charming guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, uh, but financially didn't do so well. Uh, only a $3.4 million opening weekend. Total mm-hmm. domestic run was 11.3. So Ouch. pretty significant loss on this one. Um, it ends up as number 81 of 1987 between another Michael J. Fox film, Light of Day, and Someone to Watch Over Me. Huh. And I top- did not see Light of Day. Yeah, I heard I, of that one. It's it's, I don't, I don't it's about a band. It's, a, yeah. it's about a band. Um, tops at the box office in '87. Oh, we covered it here. Number one, Three Men and a Baby. Yeah, buddy. Mm. Also, Fatal Attraction and Beverly Hills Cop Two. Mm. Which? Wait, someone else in this movie is in that movie, right? 
Beverly Hills Cop Beverly 2? Hills Cop? Yeah. Isn't there? Oh, no. I saw. I thought I saw that earlier. Never mind. Don't want I'm to derail. Scanning my brain? I don't think so. Um, okay. <laughs> Never mind. Cut that. So the the question the question that that came up, you know, on, on final analysis was just going back to the western. Like, does the contemporary western work still? I mean, and do we can really consider this a western? A lot of people, you know, say that it's not a western. Real real westerns have to be set like in you know, the whatever, 1800, like it's got to have the, uh, be about the space, right? And because that's part of what the West was, was was exploring that space and taking or holding that space. I don't know if, I I mean, that's part of it to me, but I think- I um, I feel like Westerns are more about showdowns. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. And the the character of the, you know, the, the, you know what what walter hill's themes were like the one man standing up against um you know someone trying to overtake their town or wherever uh that's your high noon right there right i mean Uh, i think go ahead brent well i was gonna say i mean i think i i don't know however you want to slice it up as to whether or not this like holds up as a western i think that it has a lot of the same sensibilities and for me, like it builds very similarly to to a that like a Western would, um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I think there are not enough westerns yeah. <laughs> anymore. Oh, like yeah. like in reality, like I love westerns, so so um, I think contemporary westerns need to exist because uh, traditional westerns don't. Yeah, I think we've seen after having a break from it for like on a massive scale for like almost 20 years, I think we've seen people come back and and start to know how to tell Westerns, you know, how to do it a little differently and put different spins on it, but keep it true to its form and not just kind of the same Westerns over and over and over, which I feel like a lot of the John Wayne movies and I'm not trying to say anything bad about John Ford, but like, you know, El Dorado and Rio Bravo mm-hmm. are the same movie. It's the same movie, different, you know, exchange uh, Dean Martin for Robert Mitchum. And, you know, and like, there's a lot of lower budget Westerns that were nothing new for years and years and years. Um, but so it was harder for the good ones to stand out. Now I think we're a little more pickier about the Westerns that are, uh, made and thus they're oftentimes of higher quality but they're still yeah. not that frequent but no yeah. i think series i think also western series like I, I think episodic is a good avenue for the western right? mm-hmm. i mean another one walter hill you know deadwood was yeah he did the pilot yeah it's a, it's you know that's a great one that's now not very recent but you know, justified, I think is kind of a contemporary spin on a Western. That's Yellow, also great. Yellowstone, Yellowstone and all you know. its spinoffs and the Taylor yeah. Sheridan world. Yep. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I like a good Western, but yeah, they don't, they don't come out very often. Although I just did see one not too long ago. I think came out last year called old Henry, mm. which is, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And worth, and worth checking out. Nice. And, you know, Walter Hill, even though this wasn't 
that successful for him and he would have to turn back to doing more like studio fare like he the next movie he did was red heat so you yeah. know touch the arnold machine and then right after that's another 48 hours so back to the well with eddie murphy um so i think he wanted to guarantee himself some you know some financial stability and uh but he would go back to doing more Westerns down the road with Wild Bill and with La Last Man Standing is a gangster movie, but it's really a Western. Um, and, uh, and of course, the Deadwood pilot. So, um, you know, this, uh, this one maybe didn't work out. It has gotten some more buzz in recent years and a little bit more attention and some people calling to, to look back at it. And so thus, we have, we did it. Yeah. I'll say, if anything, this has made me want to go back and watch Walter Hill's other movies that are, you know, his earlier, his earlier movies. Like, well, you know, we call that around here Hillfest. Hillfest. <laughs> we call it reconsidimation. <laughs> That's what but we do. We haven't covered the Warriors here, and I feel like we should. We may have to bring our, our friend Blake on for that episode. He's a ginormous Warriors fan. Yeah, um, I'd like to see that. I have, you know, like it's always been in the background and peripheral of, yep. of everything, and I've never actually sat down and see it. I know scenes from it. I know, you know, certain catchphrases from it, but I've never actually uh, watched it. But even more, like, it, that's definitely one of them, but I'd like to see the long riders southern comfort yep. i've know, never like seen i've never seen ones. either of those so yeah hard times you know yep. so i want to there's there's a few that i came across when we were doing research for this that sounded really kind of uh interesting that i yeah. like to to see to get a real sense of his like true style and storytelling yeah we're not we're, we're just we're just scratching the surface of uh, walter walter hill so there's plenty more to look at uh, as as we go through our 53-year contract um for yeah. the show so Un undisputed is one that's more recent at least within the last you know 25 years yeah, yeah. that's supposed to actually be pretty decent that got kind of shut down at the time because of the the uh i think it was too closely tied to like the Rodney King riots and all that mm -hmm. stuff. So. All right. Um, okay. So, yep. Tied to the riots, the Rodney King. I think it. I, I think I read that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, not not that it's not that it's directly related to the riots, but it. I think it skirts some of the political and and kind oh, of. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, just the kind of racial tensions of the time. Gotcha. It's got that. Gotcha. Because it came out in like early two thousands. Right, right. Which but, is but which is. But I was like, oh, I was like, it was it. Never mind. It's a. I got you. <laughs> I, I misinterpreted what you said. I'm gotcha. not a smart man. <laughs> uh, all right. Cool. Well, we did it. I'm glad we took a look at it. I'm. Uh... You know, I was I like I mentioned in the beginning, was very curious about this movie and really wanting to watch it and see a good, solid Walter Hill, you know, true, tried and true Walter Hill film, which this definitely is. I mean, it's his, it's very much him all the way through it, um, plus or plus and minus. So, uh, I uh, I'm glad we did it, and it's good, it's great to see these actors together. So, 
Um, to see a great Michael Ironside role that I hadn't seen before, just, you know, the same thing with Clancy Brown and and uh, some of the other actors here, just re- felt, that part felt great. <laughs> so I'm glad we did it. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, well, that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, any other final thoughts, uh, guys? Uh, I'm going to go... Uh... I'm gonna go check out some of these old matches where Zeus was uh, involved. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I didn't know it was a cage match between. Oh, there's a cage two, match yeah. with with Brutus and Hogan. So the, if... Okay, we're gonna continue the Zeus uh, WWF discussion. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> after. But uh, a quick uh, <laughs> shout out and thank you to some of our friends, Ek Wimmer for the theme song. Um, you know, Ek, it's close to Jerry Goldsmith. It's very clear. You're getting there. You're almost there. <laughs> uh, and uh, Curtis Moore thank you for the poster as usual check us out we're Reconsideration Podcast on Instagram, Twitter uh, hit us up there check out our archives at Reconsideration.com and don't forget drop a drop a rating and a review on, on Apple Podcasts that helps boost the show and get it uh, out there a little more uh, and we've got a, an exciting episode coming up next it's a little out there. I'm not going to say what... Well, you know what? I am going to say what it is. Because I'm doing that now. Because it's happening. The Wraith. We are going to look at Charlie Sheen in The Wraith. And we'll have a very special go. guest, most likely, for that. So, Charlie I Sheen. might go watch that right now. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking about it. Uh, feels like the perfect follow-up for uh, Extreme Prejudice. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all, right. all right, guys, we will we will see you next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now. Nick Nolte is lawman Jack Benteen. Thinking about taking him on? Might be fun. Someone's making trouble in his town. Wow, I've been here for 20 minutes and I'm already having a terrible day. But his idea of a good time... We'll have us a little fun, I promise. ...is giving them a hard time. I hurt my knee. Looks like you hurt your head. You gonna take on all the movies by yourself, Tessa? How much help do you think I need? Extreme Prejudice. 